everybody, Pre-Accident Investigation, Todd Conklin. I'm your host, the host guy, the person who's hosting the host, the hostiness. I'm hosting. That's me. And uh, it's good to have you here. This is the pod. It's an interesting pod for sure. I kind of moved some things around because I've become really fixated, super interested in a phenomenon that's happened during the pandemic in the United States because a lot of other countries don't have the same phenomenon, so... They probably don't have this same finding. And that is that during the pandemic, when people were kind of locked down and quarantined, the number of public shootings, um, mass shootings, more than four people, went dramatically down. And then as soon as everything kind of opened back up, well, look what happened. The number of shootings has dramatically increased. I don't know if it's, well, it's dramatically increased compared to what was happening during the pandemic, but it's kind of come back to, um, sadly, a level. And so I wanted to talk a little bit with an expert on this kind of violence. And so I went and reached out to Mark McElhaney, my friend Mark McElhaney, who's just an incredible dude. He's, he's a great guy. And I talked to him about this very phenomenon. And it's interesting because he sort of had a question for me, and the question he had for me was around the idea of understanding how somehow violence and shootings and stuff like that didn't really fall generally on the radar screen of safety. And they've kind of fallen into either legal or human resources or corporate security. And I'm not sure, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure it fits or doesn't fit. Uh, there it's, it's just, it it was a, it was a question that I couldn't answer and I wanted to answer. I mean, I really wanted to talk about it. So we did. I mean, we just, I I just didn't have an answer for him. Mark runs an organization called critical response associates. And it's, it's the, the foremost, it's the premier violence and threat assessment organization in the country. And what Mike Mark does, or Mike is his friends would call him Mike. What what Mark does is help organizations respond to threats, but he's always been really interested in what we do and how we look at safety and how we take much of a much more of a systemic approach. And he said something to me that I thought was really amazing. He said, you know, it's kind of amazing, but generally speaking, what I do is just talk to their workers. And uh, that's kind of what we do too. It's interesting that that's, that's a deal maker. That's, that's the delineator in how things happen and what takes place. So that's the podcast for today. I'm super excited about it just cause it's kind of fun. Mark's a fun guy and uh, he was staying at the house and he came and we made some meals and sat around and talked. And then we watched, uh, oh, I, I can't believe, Oh, we, he had me watch an episode of Fleabag and we accidentally watched all of Fleabag. If you've not seen Fleabag, it was, uh, I didn't think that would happen, but I kind of got, it's one of those shows you're like, oh, I got to watch one more. Or let's, there's time for, well, we can't stop here. Let's watch one more. And so you binge watch and it was fun. We had a great time, an amazing time to be certain, to be sure. Other than that, I think things are pretty crazy. Um, how are you doing? Things, um, keeping you popping, keeping you busy. 
it's I'm so interested in what the world's going to look like. It's it's completely a worthwhile thing to sort of look at and try to discover what the world's going to look like. But I'm I'm I don't know. I'm really interested in in how things move on. So, well, let me let me not belabor this anymore. I'm sort of chatty today for some reason. Let's listen to the conversation. So sit back and relax. This is a conversation between Mark McElhaney at Critical Response Associates and myself talking about really violence, threats, risk, safety, all those things. I think you'll find it. It's, it's, it's a good. Listen carefully. I bet you listen to this twice. It's a good podcast. So here we go. So you're traveling across the United States in your converted, what is it? A Jimmy? No. GMC. What are you traveling in? A 1994 Chevrolet Blazer. Blazer. That's, yeah. I couldn't remember the word Blazer. S10 Blazer. S10, that's the best Blazer you can buy. Is it? It must be. I mean, it's S10. It's not the S9, which is clearly one less good than the S10. It works. So far. <laughs> it's worked so far. <laughs> and you converted it and you're camping. I'm camping. Your way across the, the United time, States. Except when I'm staying at Dr. Conklin's house. Casa de Conklin. Casa de Conklin. Casa de Queso. The house of cheese. Ah, true. Not, not a bad way to be at all. Not a bad way. So And tamales. Yeah, we had tamales. Tonight is tamale night. That's right. So are you noticing any differences now that people are coming back? Into the workplace? Are you seeing anything different than you've seen the last year? Well, you know, they haven't come back yet. Uh, What I've seen different in the last year is I I see people, uh, I don't know how to explain this, going back to work. I mean, I I felt like people have been so distracted uh, on so many different issues. And we deal, of course, with, with high risk situations and which, especially in people who are in trouble, Maybe suicidal, or or maybe presenting some kind of risk. You know that that present a threat in some way, and we, you know, we've gotten less calls than last year. It's been a little puzzling because we know that everybody is, in, indeed, there's probably a lot more crises going on. We know that for a fact, but I think that some of the management has been distracted. You know, because of COVID and the election, everything that's been going on in the last year. So they're um, just not dealing with stuff? Yeah, I think our, our attention span, I mean, it's just like all of us in our day-to-day life, our attention span is just somewhere else. You mentioned the, you mentioned yesterday about um, your COVID brain, that you, your, your, your memory is not as quick or something. And I just think that uh, we're just dealing with so many other stressors that we just don't have time, enough room left in our brain to deal with, with um, what is maybe going on. And, and what we found... What I've seen in my business, anyway, in, in the last, uh, gosh, you know, last month or two, um, is it's all everybody's kind of like going back to work. I think with the vaccine and everything, it's just taking a lot of stress off. We got through the election, that took a lot of stress off, and everybody seems to, in in our business has kind of gone right back to where it was. Um, and and again, the only thing I think is that everybody's attention span is just diverted for a while. And because of that diversion, less really kind of violence happened. Workplace violence? No, 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 no. Uh, I think what what happened was is that. Um, uh, well, let me give you an example. We got called in when we got called in last time for 
critical situations, we got called in very late. In other words, for you know, our, our mantra is is you know better to call us early than late, just like with your business. Right. And, and so you know, when you're 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 starting to see some signs of an unsafe situation or something that concerns you, let's deal with it then instead of waiting for it to become a crisis. And what we saw in this past year is that we were dealing with less issues, but they were much more critical. In other words, people weren't noticing them until they became crises. Now, some of that was due to people working at home. Um, we were, you know, managers were just not able to see what was going on in the lives of people, not able to monitor their employees. And, um, you know, we all, we all know, I mean, from the statistics that point this out, is that, you know, during the last year, you know, alcohol abuse has gone up tremendously. We, we know the suicides have gone up. We know that depression is, you know, people have had more mental health problems. You know, we know that the domestic abuse has gone up. And so some of that was going on outside of our awareness because people are working at home. We, we just didn't see the signs. How do you get companies to identify those weak signal indicators early? I mean, because I think actually this is a really interesting point. Because if people aren't working at home, or no, people are working at home, then a lot of those weak indicators, those detection of unusual behavior indicators, are kind of missing. They are missing. And and so during – we've had several situations where companies have asked us to, to address that as best we could. And it's really about um, having it's – it's the same principle, but you have to kind of up your game a little bit. The principle being is that – you talk to your employees, you know, you, you, you check in on them. You, you, you follow, if you have some concerns, you follow it up, ask questions. And again, when someone's on the telephone and you don't see them, then that's much harder. So it's, it's getting managers to ask the right questions and listen for the answers and not, not do the, the typical default, uh, how are you doing? I'm fine, thanks. Oh, good. And then you go on to work. I mean, because that's that's not good enough. You know, you have to ask ask specific questions. You know, and you follow it up. You know, how is? Tell me about. You know, open ended questions. You know, tell me how this COVID working from home has, has affected you. What what do you what do you consider the biggest stressors? I mean, so you have to let the employee know that you care and give them the room, the space, to address those issues and let you know about them. Otherwise, you're not going to know. How do you do that over Zoom or Teams or? Uh, well, I think you have, it has to be private conversations. But but you know we all we all uh, we all are in we all like to use denial as our primary defense mechanism. We all like that. It's a human thing. And so by denial, I mean kind of minimalizing or not paying attention to problems. You know, when we see something, there's a tendency to say, "Ah, it's probably okay." You know, and that's just us rationalizing so we don't have to worry about it. And so a lot of our work is trying to get managers to not do that. If your employee's coming in, he's looking disheveled and like he, he, he's had a tough night and, you know, and he's got bruises on him, you know, ask a question. How are you doing? What's going on? Tell me. Again, not just saying, oh, he, he's none of my business. And it's the same thing with, um, you know, when people are working from home. It's just, it's just a lot harder to do that. I mean, you have to work harder. So wh- how are you advising people to do that? Well, we, we, we talk about, uh, you know, the, the, how to listen better and how to ask the right questions and asking questions, you know, asking your employees, again, like I said, open-ended questions. Instead of saying, hey, how are you doing, which ne- 
always ends up in the same response. I'm fine. fine. Thanks. Yeah, fine. Yeah, I'm exactly. fine. And so asking them, well, tell, tell me about uh, how this is all affecting you. You know, tell me about the stresses. Tell me, is there, you know, is, is there anything that you can tell us to help us understand what it's like working from home? You know, again, just open-ended questions because that invites the person to talk. And then when they tell you something, ask a question about it or repeat back what they say. You know, and again, that allows them to refine what they say and come back. And again, it also says you're listening and that you really want to know. And so, and again, it's called active listening. It's it's an old principle and and, and and this is what we always preach, but, but I think it's a little harder to deal with in this environment. Well, how do you get managers? So, so the fear I think a manager may have is if you ask people deep questions, holy crap, they might actually give you a deep answer. answer. Yeah. And then what what do I do with it? I mean, you know, exactly right. I mean, that's exactly right. And that's why that that's why denial and minimalization and rationalization are all defense mechanisms that that we use. It's easier. I mean, it makes life easier. I mean, you know, I'm how you doing? I'm fine. Thank you. Good. And you move on, and that's that allows you to. So, so we're asking managers to do the hard stuff sometimes, uh, but again, it's um, it's important, and it's all about catching things early because again, this is easy and easy to deal with if you catch it early, and and it's it, most of the crises that we deal with, especially in workplace violence, are issues that have been around a while that have been ignored, uh, have been explained away. And eventually get worse and worse and worse until they explode. And if we could have come in and dealt with it very early in the process, when, you know, if managers have raised their hands and say, hey, I'm worried about this guy, some things going on, and, and, and basically have the right people in the company, whoever it is, whether it's security, HR, or, or, or hopefully a team of people, look at this and basically try to address it before it gets to a critical level. That's that's what the, all this is about, right? Are you starting to see safety and security come together? Mental health, safety, and security come together as kind of one sort of personnel reliability. Or it strikes me that we've got them artificially stovepiped. They're sort of defined. Well, that's a security problem. That's not a safety problem, or vice versa, right? And yeah. and in reality, they're all they're all they all touch every part of the organization because it's really about performance and reliability. Are you starting to see organizations mature enough to bit. realize that mental health, um, threat assessment, mm-hmm. safety, all that stuff kind of comes together? Some. I think I think the corporate, the companies that we're dealing with, the organizations that we're dealing with that are getting good at this, that's exactly what's happening because we go into many organizations where everything's siloed. I mean, literally siloed, you know, where uh, and, and, and the first and a lot of times companies do not have a workplace violence prevention. And the first thing we have to deal with is who's going to own it, you know, because, well, that HR does that or security does that or legal does that. And, and, and this has to be a team effort. It has to be everybody involved. And, and you brought up a good in, issue in that I, I've never fully understood because I'm still relatively new at this. I mean, I didn't come at this as someone – who understood organizations, you know, I'm coming to this as a psychologist. I've had to learn about how organizations work. But uh, some of I, what I don't understand is, is that division between safety and security in some companies because this we're all about safety. This is safety, 
but somehow bad behavior gets into security. And I don't understand that because it, it's a, it's an artificial bear, uh, differentiation. Um, so I've never understood that completely um, because I, I, and again, it, in order for all this to work, in order for us to have a safe work environment, we all have to be working on this. It has to all be in, in so security has to be involved, safety has to be involved, legal, HR, but again, why security and safety sometimes are hardly ever talk to each other. Well, what concerns me about what you're saying is that the pointy end of the stick where the supervisor is, right? The supervisor is managing safety, security, mental health, production operations, performance. I mean, they manage all the, there's no difference in their mind. I mean, none at all. And I think the silos actually make it harder for the supervisor to be successful in early intervention, early detection, because they have to figure out where to take this information and where to go with it. And I'll bet you a lot of it comes to safety. And I'd be curious. I mean, it's a really interesting question. When safety people hear about threats of potential violence, do they turf it off as fast as possible to somebody else? I, you know, there are some companies, some organizations we work with that report to me that they don't have any incidents. And I'm saying, yeah. I'm saying <laughs> well, right. no, you do have incidents. <laughs> where are they going? How are they getting reported? And where where are they going? I mean, because I, I you know, I even, even supervisors may not be reporting anybody because the supervisors may feel they're not supposed to. But they may be reporting it, and somehow it gets shifted somewhere. Or, you know, are security supposed to get it, and they're not getting it? Or, you know, I, I don't it, – it's, it's, it's baffling sometimes. Uh, now, you know, the first thing that needs to happen is security – I mean, I'm sorry, supervisors need to feel like they have permission to report this stuff. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of organizations I've been into that where we talk about uh, managers and, and supervisors reporting these early signs, right – and I'll get a raised hand in the room, and the supervisor said, well, we've always been told we're not supposed to bump this upstairs. We're supposed to take care of that in-house. And so, and and that's horrible. I mean, because bottom line is, and, and that's why we bought it. When we put together prevention programs, first thing we do is threat, set up a threat assessment team. We train up a threat assessment team, threat management team, uh, risk management team, whatever you want to call it. But in, and it's always composed of uh, – it's interdisciplinary. It's always composed of, you know, folks from security, folks from HR, folks from safety, folks from legal. And because they all have to have their heads together in, in order to make this work. I mean, that, that the team concept works. So they all have to be involved. Or all they, all, they all should be involved. Um, and they all should know what's going on And because they, they all have something to contribute, something really valuable to contribute. And when you do that as a team, it's amazing how well it works. Um, each of those individuals or each of those groups doing it individually um, in, in their own little silos is not going to work. It's just not going to work. And there's there's workplace events all the time. I mean, there's shootings. Or the, this week there were shootings. So, I mean, mm-hmm. they happen all the time. Does the notion that people think workers just snap actually – deter from the ability to identify early? Absolutely. Was I mean, that a good question? Did that make sense? That, that, well, that's a very good question because that's, uh, I think, when I started training 25 years ago or, or you know, teaching organizations, that's the first thing we addressed and still do, you know, in the first two minutes of the program is that uh, this, 
this is not something that occurs. This is not an act. Violence is not an act. It's part of a process. And people do not snap. I don't know anybody in my field that would concur that people snap. It does not happen. Every single incident. Uh, You know, the first thing that people tell you is uh, something just happened. It just came out of the blue. They surprised us, and we got to deal with it. And, And when we start asking questions, no, I mean, that's, there was something going on last month and maybe last year, and sometimes for 20 years this employees has been doing things or saying things that have alarmed people, but somehow it just got avoided, that person got avoided, and, um, or ignored in some way. And uh, it just got, the can got kicked down the road. So, you know, it, it is always a process, and getting people to recognize the early signs of the process. And that's true of the active shooter too, by the way. People think that's somehow in a different category. And the FBI did a great study uh, a couple of years ago on, you know, all the active shooter incidents and find that, you know, every, by a huge percentage, there were predetermining factors and, and events and signs that could have been recognized early if people had been alerted to it. And that's because it, it isn't about people just now. But that retrospective look back, that's easy. I mean, after something happens, you can easily look back and see all those indicators. Sure. To me, the the sensitivity to the potential for people to feel marginalized, maybe a better way to say this, is the sensitivity to the fact that there are workers in your workforce who don't feel listened to, who don't feel heard, which I think is English for listened to without ending with the preposition. I'm just throwing that in there. That notion that they're not heard, I think is actually a, pretty powerful prevention strategy. But I think you need prevention. You need places for people to be heard and for conflicts to be managed. And then you need recovery strategy. You need some kind of immediate team of crisis um, safeguard people who can come together and de-escalate and help create a system that's more valuable. I'm surprised companies don't talk more about this. Why do you think they don't – do they not want people to know that there are events in their organization? I suppose that's the answer. I suppose so. I mean, again, I, I, I will fall back on that, you know, our primary defense mechanism, which is denial and avoidance. I mean, that's – that's we all do that every day. I mean, I, and I don't mean that as a pathological thing because we all – we couldn't get through a day without, think, you know, something hard, too much to think about or something we don't want to think about. Well, put it aside. That's what we all do. If I had a, like a 1994 Chevy S10 Blazer okay. and it made a noise when you went 55, but I learned you turn the radio up louder and the noise goes away, that is an example of this denial. Right? Yeah, I hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just shooting that out. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, you know, again, it's – I don't know why. And, I, and the, the listen, employees being listened to is an interesting thing because we, we – many times we engage with employees that people are afraid of made some kind of threats or been threatening and we de-escalate the situation and and there's a lot of times where people think we're working magic and I you know all I did was listen to somebody and and at the end of the conversation the person says well finally someone listened to me and they felt comfortable that that their concerns were communicated to the company and we were able to de-escalate that situation and resolve it and I really think that that was the only thing that was really working there. I mean, oh, I think you get and, agreement from our place too that that workers don't feel that people listen to them. And I I think the problem is is that you feel like the workers the problem, right? 
When in reality, when they act out, however they act out in the workplace, it's a symptom of a whole series of deeper issues that have been bubbling along. And you're right, retrospectively, you can sort of see where those indicators are. What can companies do? Um, Because clearly now, the one thing that's come out of this pandemic is a recognition that we need to have capacity for unexpected events. I mean, I'm not sure anything good came out of the pandemic, except that we really learned that when we don't have capacity for unexpected events, when unexpected events happen, we're pretty much screwed. That notion of building capacity, is it expensive to build that capacity? I mean, can organizations do it? Where do they go to find it? I mean, how do we help bridge that gap? Well, in my field, you know, which is basically preventing workplace violence and and what I call high-risk behavior, you know, there's there's basically four steps. I mean, number one is that we advise companies to have an internal threat management or risk management team, you know, where, again, it's interdisciplinary, where the who have the ultimate responsibility, this team does, of of dealing with these issues. They should be trained at a certain level. They don't have to be, they don't have to be experts in threat management or whatever, but they have to be experts in understanding the process and knowing who the experts are to bring in the resources to deal with situations. Someone has to be responsible. So, so where the buck stops. Secondly, you need to, they are going to be useless if they don't get the reports. So you have to train up what I call critical personnel, you know, the HR managers and, you know, the, security managers and all that. And again, that training doesn't have to be extensive, but just letting them know what, what we're looking at, uh, you know, what the process is, what we expect of them, and and educating them a little bit on terms of what do we mean by high-risk behavior? What are what are the range of behaviors that we're concerned about? And again, broadening that range, getting them to understand we're not looking for people who just make a threat. In fact, that's a small percentage. You know, there's, a, there's a wide range of behaviors, of concerning behaviors, that um, we need people aware of. And then, and then finally, of course, one of those things is, you know, I, I say four steps. One is to have poli- have a policy and have leadership commitment to this. Without it, it's not going to work. And the fourth thing would be you, your employees have got to be, you've got to have some kind of awareness program for employees. And it doesn't have to be long, but your employees have to understand what they're to look for and have the confidence and ability to report those things. If they have the concern about a fellow employee that uh, or she has an abusive husband and they're afraid that he might come into the workplace, then they need to report that. And they need to know that that's something important. And they need to have confidence that management's going to handle it right. And they need to know that they're not going to be punished for reporting it, et cetera. And so there needs to be some kind of uh, communication to employees. Without that, then everything we're doing is useless. So so employees need to know that they're being listened to and valued in, in terms and that we're concerned about their safety. And, and, and again, because there's a lot of situations that we get pulled into that are not, again, we're called in early. It may be about a particular employee has been very depressed and someone reported that may be suicidal. You know, and because, again, not that all suicidal people are dangerous, but most all the active shooters out there are suicidal. You know, and so we, we want to know about that. Um, and so if in we in, in a significant percentage of workplace violence is domestic related where an angry husband or wife comes in the workplace and, and, and hurts people. So we need to know about those situations that you know so 
letting employees know what we're looking for or just someone's just acting different. Not that that's bad and not that we're going to go in and like a SWAT team. And But we need to, if, if someone is having some mental health issues, not that that's bad or we're going to overreact or punish anybody, but let's, let's investigate. Let's say, you know, what is going on here? Is this something we need to do? Is this, is this employee in trouble? Do we need to do something special to help them? Because if you don't, then you'll pay for that. How do you help management understand? So if you do your job really well and the assessment team does its job really well and the supervisors are heightened awareness, nothing bad happens, right? I mean, you intervene before something bad happens. How do you help senior leadership realize that there's value in intervening even though you can't measure what didn't happen? Beats me. It's a really, it's a really hard question, right? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't know how to do that because basically you're, uh, and I, I assume you deal with this all the time too, is that, you know, we're, we're here to prevent something bad from happening. When nothing bad happens, how do you prove that that's, you know, I don't, I don't know. That's, that's hard to, it's hard to say. But, you know, but I, th- I do think that if you look at basic statistics, I mean, just, which is interesting. I mean, if you look, go to, the National Institute of Mental Health or, or Department of Labor and just download statistics. If you look at high-risk categories, for example, you know, say suicide, and, you, and let's say suicide, domestic violence, and, uh, and mental health, even though mental health doesn't mean someone's going to become violent, but certainly mental health, you know, mental illness, there are certain types of mental illness that could lead to that. So if you look at just basic statistics, I mean, six percent of the country, you know, has attempted suicide in their lifetime. Wow! So six, you know, we're saying six out of a hundred. So one, one out of twenty. So look around your organization. <laughs> Who are they? I mean, I mean, again, I'm I'm not saying that your organization reflects that exactly, but probably, you know, yeah, m- I mean, most likely will. Ten percent of Americans have had some kind of alcohol or you know a drug abuse problem. Uh, something like, I, and I can't remember exactly, but it's astounding, something like 5% every year, I think that's correct, 5% of the population every year has a mental illness that is incapacitating, you know, literally impairs their function. Um, the number, I if I'm not, if if you walk into an emergency room of any hospital, I will bet in any in any day, maybe outside of the COVID, you know, mm-hmm. times, thirty percent of the people there are women who have been abused. You know, that's that's an that's a hell of a statistic. So all of those people go to work. All those people are working in your workplace. You know, and so so where why do you not know about that? And so I'm not saying that every suicidal person, every woman who's getting, um, you know, beaten up by her husband, you know, or or everybody who is, you know, a drug abuser is is violent. I'm not saying that. But there's a lot of high or, or, or someone who's paranoid, schizophrenic. Violent. I'm not saying that. But if you're not aware of those employees who are in trouble, then you're not going to be able to prevent when when those when that percentage of them does end up bringing harm to the workplace. You know, you, you, you have to pay attention to those early signs. 
someone is suicidal in your workplace, you know, in my opinion, you need to know that. You, you know, to, 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 for some, someone to come in and, and uh, commit suicide or, or to hurt themselves or hurt other people in the process or, you know, you know, God forbid, be an active shooter that whose final act is a suicidal act. And for the company to say, well, gosh, we didn't see that coming. Why not? Okay, you know, I mean, why not? I mean, and now, and I will tell you, in every single incident, when there is a, some big news, you know, headline event, usually some news report ends up the next day in front of employees said, we knew that was going to happen. We told management they didn't do anything. We knew that was going to happen. You and and any good lawyer will find somebody, some employee who saw that coming. And um, and there are so many times that um, we have seen that when we we go in and so someone makes a report and we talk to managers and all say, oh, yeah, yeah, he's been really acting funny recently. Well, what's going on with him? I don't know. Well, why don't you know? And it's like, why would you not know? You know, you know he's, he's, he's not doing well at his job. He looks disheveled. He, you know, he, he, he kind of looks like he's been drinking all night. But, you know, that's just how he is. You know, well, no, it's like, it's, I, and, and again, we, we pay for that. You know what time it is? Tamale time. Oh. There you go. What do you think? Holy cow. I went long. I'm sorry. I owe you time. I owe you two minutes. Oh, actually, I'm going to owe you four minutes if I don't shut up. But I thought that was an interesting conversation, and we ended at the perfect time. Tamale time. It's time for a tamale. So until then, thanks for listening. Think about this stuff. I think it's interesting. Learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. Check in on one another. And for goodness sakes, be safe. 